This is the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross getting you guys ready with a two-hour preview of Seattle's Week 3 matchup on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings currently winless, but they have lost both of their games by four points combined, so it'll still be a tough matchup, and we'll dive into it a little bit more. But first, a very, very quick, and I promise this will be quick, look back at Seattle's Week 2 loss to the Tennessee Titans. That one was at home. Fans were returning to Lumen Field for the first time since 2019. They saw some good stuff, especially in the first half, carrying a 24-9 lead into the third quarter. Unfortunately, it all fell apart, and there is plenty of blame to go around. Uh, let's talk about maybe one of the core of those issues. Uh, Dave, I heard plenty of people talking about specifically the run, both sides of the ball, couldn't establish it consistently to sustain drives on offense and couldn't stop it on defense. Is that one of your core issues when you look back at this loss? Yeah, uh, I think it's that. Um, I also think that this is a very good team they lost to. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, here's what I would say about it. The, the teams that win in the NFL, they're the ones that do right the longest. Okay, and I've been said that on our show yesterday. That And that's what they did. They just stuck with the run. Because early on, Henry was, you know, they were stuffing him pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, and then they just kept testing the defense, and they did it very methodically of, you know, play-action pass. Okay, if you're not going to drop underneath that, if the linebacker's going to suck up and, you know, they're going to hit that little 19-yard post route to Julio Jones, uh, when your linebacker did drop, then, you know, it didn't work for him. But you just had to do it over and over and over again. They were just going to keep testing you and testing you and running the ball. 35 carries for Derrick Henry. And they finally just wore down. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened with the gaps. I mean, you saw they got caught a couple of times. The one long run that he ran for a touchdown, you know, I thought that was on everybody. I mean, look. the ent- I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. Jamal Adams was the one that drew the most arrows from Pete and Bobby in that. Yeah. But is that something where, because I didn't think it was that egregious. You know, there was a little bit of space there, and I know that his gap integrity is is there. He's trying to make a make a play in there. Is that something where it wouldn't have been as big of a deal if he had told Trey beforehand, like, hey, I'm going to knife inside and, you know, need to fill in there? Well, did or- you think that was his gap? Because, I mean, I, to me, I, I thought that was his gap. Yeah. But the thing is, you can play your gap, but you can't get washed down, okay? And, you know, that's where I thought it was on everybody. The entire defense just got – and so now Trey Flowers, he's the, the cutback guy, right? Right. Well, it's it's easy to, easier to make a cutback block when it's like there's like two or three yards of space. There was like 12 yards there, you know? So, you know, everybody was – you know, got washed down. And, you know, I thought that was bad. And then also, you know, the other thing is there's a difference how you play a block when it's pass – versus run and when it's run you got to be a little bit more stout and stay in your in your gap and not get washed down you know if if you're on a pass rush yeah you can just fly around the edge and not really care about the space and everything you're just trying to get to the quarterback and he kind of broke you know broke underneath that tackle like that like it was a pass rush and you know and I'm trying to remember if that was a play action pass or not or I mean did he was it a kind of a delayed handoff or whatever but you know I I felt like the whole defense was pretty much in on that one but of Mm. course you know the last guy that's left is Trey Flowers and that looks bad you know same thing with Quandre Diggs I think a lot of times the missed tackles are because people are trying to strip the ball out and that's a big emphasis these days but 
Yeah, it was just those are the kinds of things. And it just to me, it was more about how Tennessee is a very well-disciplined, very well-coached team that just continually hammered away at you. And they, you know, eventually it they broke open and out comes, what, 500 and some yards, 182 yards rushing for Derrick Henry. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a tough test for them that, you know, now everybody's going to look at it and say, hey, look, if you're, you know, in, look at this team coming in here in Minnesota. I was looking, I was watching uh, Dalvin Cook. And by the way, never mind if he doesn't uh, run for any yards because they can just bring in Alexander Madison and he can go get a career high like he did he's, last year. I was going to yeah. say, he's the one that racked up like 100 yards in one quarter alone or 112 something. 112 yards. Yeah. yeah, after Dalvin Cook went down. So it's a good group. Yeah, it is a good group, but I was looking at the Arizona game. Here are Dalvin Cook's runs 16, 15, 14, 13, oh, 12, 10, like 9, <laughs> 9, 7. I mean, this guy, I mean, he averaged like six yards a carry and only three yards against the Bengals. So, yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be another tough test in the run game there because this offensive line, they were just blowing huge holes in that Arizona defense. And so. Yeah, it's uh, that was disappointing to see. I mean, look, you're going to have to go toe to toe with really physical teams that are going to come in here like Tennessee and try to try to punch you in the mouth. Big story heading out of the game. Also, the Seahawks had possession for just 22 minutes and 42 seconds total. Uh, the uh, the Titans dominating that in the second half. The offense didn't get inside of Tennessee's 20 uh, yard line, with the exception of obviously that one 68 yard bomb to Freddie Swain. I'm not counting it. It wasn't a red zone touchdown, and they didn't take that drive deep into the red zone because that ended up being a score on that play. So, what happened to the offense in the second half? I know that we're we've been talking about. Um, Chris Carson only got 13 carries total in the game. The the tight ends weren't too involved. Pete Carroll, though, asked about the tight end usage on Monday, said that, look, it doesn't matter who gets the ball if they're winning. The problem was to him that they just scored very quickly and never got a chance to establish that rhythm. What did you guys make of that? You're never going to complain about points. Okay, so first and foremost, you're never going to complain about points. But the problem is, is that when you when you are so the, the, the margin of time of possession was so wide and so vast with the Titans having the time of possession for over 40 minutes and and the Seahawks had time of possession for 20 that is never a positive thing could you win a game like that yeah you can but it's not necessarily the the advantageous situation that you want when it comes to playing complementary football that means that your defense is on the field for a very very long time and the problem with that being is is that when you talk about the miscues and the mishaps that happen in the second half, it doesn't excuse them away, but you can explain a little bit of that when the Tennessee Titans are able to sustain these long drives in this, and the Seahawks offense in the second half did not do that. Uh, they kept their defense out on the field for, for, for far too long, and the Seahawks offense needed to be able to establish some drives there and if they establish some longer drives and convert uh some third downs i you might see a different outcome here yeah you know it's funny i I looked at the the drive before the half was just genius you know because they're a minute five yeah and more they're back on their own 25 yard line so you you think hey are they gonna they, they did have two timeouts i think uh so you know they did have some time to to see if it's gonna work but I just thought that was a beautiful drive, and it reminded me a lot of what they did in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And yet they got away from that. And like in the overtime possession, you know, two incomplete passes and then a safety. 
I'm sorry, that was a safety. Uh, I think so, you know, too. so okay. but uh, but look, you know, wh- where was that? You know, that to me, I, I felt like I, I don't know if Russ got maybe uh, a little bit, you know, obsessed with throwing it down, but I saw it looked like Carson was out in the flat. You know, uh, a couple of times there was a drag. I don't know. I just felt like the, for the first time since uh, the playoff game against the Rams that Russ looked had that look in his eye like he was confused and frustrated. Mm. So, and I don't know what he was expecting throwing the ball down, you know, those two possessions before that, throwing it to DK. But, it, you know, there was none of what we saw in that drive before the half, and there was none of that what we saw in Indianapolis where, you know, just kind of taking the check downs and being patient and then never f- looking like he was flustered or anything like that. So, yeah, that was kind of a shame. But I go back to, to that drive. That was pretty sweet, you know, and I, I mean, I, I think they, they still have the ability to do that and hopefully going forward. But, you know, just a, what did the ball travel four yards in the air to Travis Homer? He gets 11 yards. Mm-hmm. Same thing with DK or I'm sorry, T, uh, Tyler Lockett, you know, uh, <laughs> Rabel calls him Metlock now, and so now I can't get off of the, the names because it's a combination of the two names. But, yeah, just an eight-yard, you know, little out route to him and then 12 yards back to Freddie Swain. And so, yeah, it just looked like everything was, you know, working in concert. And then yeah. all of a sudden you get into the, the overtime period and it just wasn't there. It did feel like two different offenses in a weird way. Yeah, it did. And, and one of the things that I had a frustration with was when it comes to running the football – it is a premium to be able to do that. It's a premium to be able to establish the run. It is a premium, especially in those situations when you're in four-minute offense. I mean, they had the ball five minutes and I think it was five minutes and 40 seconds left to go in the game. That is a prime opportunity for your offense to be in four-minute mode and to be able to try to drain as much clock as possible to convert, to get a couple first downs. Uh, unfortunately, you don't, you know, you have the fourth and one that doesn't, you don't know what's going to end up happening there because Damian Lewis jumps off sides. But to me, that was one of the other issues was not adjusting your run game. I mean, the big you know 25-yard run that happened with Alex Collins, it came out in spread yeah. situations, Love right? That. It's spread runs. And so if you're having a hard time and you're not being as good in your 12 personnel run game, spread things out, go to 11 personnel, spread it out, see if you can run it that way and try and change things up. There's just some adjustments that – did not happen there in that second half that I would have personally loved to have seen from this offense. We'll talk a bit more about this. We'll also take a look ahead uh, to the Vikings. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> waving your fist? It was the how to, it's, it's, That's uh, the break yeah, sign. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. let's go to break. Um, uh, By the way, this huddle is dedicated to Curtis Rogers. He it saved, is dedicated to he Curtis saved Rogers. The world famous. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the huddle. world famous huddle. <laughs> from Shout C out to Curtis C. Rogers. C, C, C to shining C. C. I just had to send out a few late night texts last night, being like, "Hey, guys." The huddles tomorrow. Well, because it's on a Wednesday and not a Thursday, <laughs> exactly. we do have a switching around of schedules a little bit. Normally, for instance, uh, you'd have Russell Wilson speaking on Thursday. Pete Carroll talks on Wednesdays, and that means you're going to hear from him today. That coming your way next. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. We are getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' Week 3 matchup. This one's on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are one of the winless teams in the NFL at 0-2, but they might just be the best. They had a Week 1 loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, 27-24, that went into overtime and then lost in a heartbreaker to the Cardinals last week, 34-33, collectively 
four points across both of those games. So they are going to be searching for a win. And by the way, they're going to have three consecutive home games starting with this matchup against Seattle. When you look ahead to Tennessee, or excuse me, when you look uh, ahead to, to Minnesota for this Sunday, you guys, it's hard not to look at all the weapons they have on offense immediately, but that defense also loaded. Where are your eyes immediately going with this roster? Yeah, to me, it's looking at their, their run game. And then Kirk Cousins, I mean, as far as completion percentage goes, he's kind of the king. And I mean, he had the one year where he had 70%. I think, is it him and Drew Brees yeah. that have only, only, the only two to have over 70 for a season? So the one rap on Kirk Cousins, and, you know, I'm not sure how, how prevalent it is, but it used to be that he couldn't beat a winning team. And so, but, you know, I, I think he's a good quarterback, throws for 315 yards per game, five touchdowns. He was sacked four times. I don't think he has an interception this year. And then, you know, he's got a great run game behind him. So, you know, like I was saying, uh, but, you know, the weapons, Justin Jefferson, in his second year, he was a, a first-round draft choice, and he got off to a really slow start. I want to say he made the Pro Bowl by the end of the year. He had, he had yes. good numbers. And, you know, in the very beginning, they weren't using him. And because I remember when we played him last year, but um, yeah, you got him, you got Adam Thielen, who's the touchdown king. And, you know, like I said, a, a good backup in you know, Alexander Madison. But K.J. Osborne's the guy that's, uh, that's He's leading the team, making all the catches right yeah. now. So, yeah, they've got got a lot of weapons there and a pretty good offensive line. Yeah. The, the thing for me is I look at their defense. Uh, you talk about trying to establish a run. It doesn't get any easier versus this Minnesota defense. I know that they've given up a lot of points. You look at the Cardinals game uh, this last week, and they gave up a bunch of cheap, easy touchdowns to Kyler Murray uh, just in some scramble drill situations, total busted coverages. But outside of that, it's a pretty good group. They get Daniil Hunter back, uh, their best pass rusher from a year ago, uh, or for, from two years ago. He had a significant injury that kept him out all season long. Very, very good player. He'll be back on the edge. I don't know what Everson Griffin's situation is going to be. He was out with a concussion last week. But the guys on the interior, they got Michael Pierce. They've got, uh, they added uh, Dalvin Tomlinson from the New York Giants. Uh, of this, uh, you know, of this last year, um, Sheldon Richardson is another very good player. So, from the interior perspective, this is a pretty good group. That's gonna, that's not gonna give you easy uh, run situations. They're not just gonna give it up to you. So, from from a total standpoint of this team, I, I, this is gonna be a tough battle that you have on your hands, Stacey. Well, and that's one of the weird things. Their defense, uh, kind of like uh, Seattle in that way. You've got a defensive-minded head coach and some stars who can be a lot better than what you've seen on paper. So they've given up 27 points to Cincinnati, 34 points to Arizona. But like you said, they've got Eric Kendricks, man. He's phenomenal. They added Patrick Peterson to the secondary to help them. So they got Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, Xavier Woods uh, in there as well. So, I mean, they've got a good group collectively. Um, I think this is going to be a test on both sides of the ball. The way that I was initially, and this is obviously a mistake on my part, the way that I was looking at the Tennessee game was it was going to be the defense versus Derrick Henry and that it would be able to be a shootout because that secondary with Tennessee is so poor. And I, the way that I miscalculated that was obviously not expecting Seattle's offense to fall apart in the second half. It was a shootout, but kind of for all the wrong reasons because Seattle got kind of flat there. I think with this one, I'm looking at it as a battle on both sides of the ball. For both Seattle's offense and their defense, there are some unique matchups here. There are. There are a bunch of unique matchups when it comes right. to this. So, And I'm going to interrupt you. Sorry, Jake. We are going, taking you guys right now to the podium where Pete Carroll is speaking with reporters. Does the best job this week getting ready and preparing and all of that. I have the best chance to win. So uh, practice is really important this week and starts today. Um, this a bit, the, the Vikings have been very explosive uh, on offense, been very efficient in scoring and 
throwing the ball all over the place and running the ball well. So it's a very difficult challenge for the defense. And and Mike has always been hard, uh, you know, with what he does on defense for them. So it's a really tough matchup. Their first home game, all that kind of stuff. I am glad that we've you know we've been on the road and in a stadium similar. Um, you know, they're different and unique in their own ways. But still, I'm glad that our guys have, you know, the, the Indy trip helped us in, in uh, preparation for this week. So we'll try to use that. When you say offense is efficient, what numbers are you using to come to that conclusion? Well, they're scoring points. You know, they're scoring points and they're and they're doing it they're doing it well. Quarterbacks uh, thrown. He's throwing 72% completion right now, five touchdowns, no picks. That's that's pretty darn good, you know. He's been sacked just a few times, you know. So um, that's that's a big part of it. Their running game has been has been solid as well. So I'm looking at their offense when I'm saying that. Really, that's, that's what I had in mind. Kirk Buck over the years, both with Washington and Minnesota. Just what stands out about him? Who did you say? Kirk. Yeah, Kirk. Um, he looks he looks terrific. He's throwing all of the throws, whether it's the the, the drop back stuff or the or the the action stuff, on the edge. Um, he, he uses the whole field. Um, he uses all the rhythms. They're they're good in the quick game. They're good down the field on their play passes. And he's got guys that he can go to that, that make things happen on the edge uh, outside. So. Um, He's looked really good, and, and he's, he's accurate, and his arm is strong, and he's taken off a couple times and made some yards. So um, this is, this is I see him as good as I've ever seen him. I think he looks that sharp starting the season. That's already with Dalvin Cook. How does he sort of compare to the guys you've seen already? He's really explosive, totally different style of runner than what we just saw, um, but you know, equally as effective for the most part. I mean, nobody's effective as Derek, but the, but. Um, his explosiveness on the edge is really apparent, and it, it, it carries over in the throwing game too. They screen him, they dump the ball to him, and he's hard to get down. And uh, you know, we, we have a lot of respect for him. The run scheme is there any common thread to what you're going to get this week? The yeah, side? yeah, they're both zone teams. You know, they're primary zone teams. You know, and running wide zone is their featured plays. Both offenses, it hits differently. You know, and this, the the way it, the way it, it, you know you're defending it is. It, it, it's different because of the, the style of, of the runner. So, um, but the concept and the principles are almost calling the same place. How has different schemes up front for you the last two weeks worked out? Um, you know, we had a ton of plays last week that I, I was really pleased with. You know, I'm talking about the running game now. You know, we had 28 plays or something, four or less or whatever. You know, which is a lot of plays. A lot of plays at the line of scrimmage, um, and we we gave up. You know. Really, the one big play, and but they ran it 40 times, you know, and so they're going to get some yards when they do that. But um, when you give up 60 yards, all your numbers are screwed up. So um, we, we played we played scheme wise well, with a couple exceptions, and that's what happens, you know. So you have to do it play after play after play forever, particularly against a great running back, and he just keeps waiting and waiting, and he explodes like he's done. And, you know, we were we went a long time in that game without let that happen, and then it finally it did. You know, it's unfortunate for us. Um, his strength is really coming back, and uh, um, from what I heard today, they tested him for the first time in two, three or four days, and uh, so I, I don't know what that means yet. But um, his strength came way back from where it was, so he's feeling much better. We've got to find out if that's enough to let him play. I don't know yet. It's a, it's a elbow related. Yeah, so there's yeah there's some tricep in there, and and uh, but it is in, you know right at the. That's why I said elbow, and then you said, "Oh no!" Or I said tricep, and you guys said elbow because we had said elbow. It's it's in that area. Okay. More practice. You want to get more more specific than that? <laughs> it's kind of anyway. Um, not today.
second in the league. Zach Wright for the first two weeks. How has Daniel Hunter returning impacted him? He's, he's, he's got four sacks already. You know, he's flying and and he's. Uh, He's hungry for it. You can tell he's really coming off the ball well. And he's had a couple of those four that were just effort sacks, you know, that when the quarterback was moving and he had to, it wasn't just a pure pass rush win. Um, he's playing really hard. He's a terrific player. How does him being back in the lineup make things easier for the rest of their defensive line, too? Any, any guy that's that dominant in, in pass rush, he affects it. He affects you. You know, they saw the. Um, on the other side, you know, we saw um, Chandler uh, a couple weeks ago just totally affect the whole football team. You know, by the way he played, w one guy on the edge can be that kind of an impact player. Um, th I don't know if they're getting Everson Griffin back or not, but um, he's been like that, or, or, you know, in the past. And so the, um, that's what that's what Daniel's doing now. How is uh, Brandon Shell? Um, he's he's still a little sore yeah, right now. He won't go today. We'll, we'll see what happens as we go day to day here. Um, he's he's running and uh, he's gonna it, he won't make it this week um, unless it's a real surprise at the end of the week and it, due to the the process that he has to make uh, on ground running and all that. DK is still okay. Yeah, he's he, yeah, he's going today. How would you evaluate DK's performance in the first two games? Uh, I think he's been really strong, played really strong. Um, uh, you know, he was. Really jacked for both games early in the games, and, and just tried a little bit too much to you know to have impact. And, and um, um, but he's finding his way. You know, he's he's so prepared to go for it uh, and all that, and he's finding his way. And you know, he had a couple of penalties. You know, that, that were costly, and because he's really going overboard a little bit. And so um, he's ready to go. We've talked all about it. He's ready to go. Jamarco's a possibility if he couldn't go, and, and uh, Jake also. Jake had a really nice preseason, so. Um, but we, we would go with experience first if that's where we go. There have been a couple scuffles that DK has been involved in the first two games. Is that kind of the same thing? Like maybe he's too into it right now, or? No, he's just finding. He's finding out. He's finding out. You know, kind of the uh, the. The boundaries to, to play within, you know, he, he's so physical that it, it, you know, he's he finds himself in those situations where he's, you know, kind of overwhelming the guy at times, and, and so he just needs to know that how the officials are calling it and when to when to you know take your hands up and and, and all that. And um, I'm okay about what he's trying to do. He's battling and he's competing like crazy, but we have to do it within the guidelines, and so that's that's really important. It's kind of that messaging is important for a whole club after last week. You know, we had a lot of a lot of things happen that we didn't need to have happen. Stuff that happened after the play was, you know, finished, and, and, uh, and we we gave away a ton of yards and situations that we have to do better at. And he was he was part of that. We always hear with receiver quarterback duos when they've been together a while about the chemistry with Tyler and Russ. Was there a time you really noticed that? You know, I don't, I don't know when the, the time would be, but yeah, has it been noticed? Yes, for a number of years. I mean, I would, I don't know what, you know, any any specific stuff. Um, I, one of the the culmination of that recognition would be the the pass that Russ hits him against the Rams, you know, in the corner of the end zone. I mean, one of the most perfect plays you could ever see in a, in a game. And that was like, you know, if you didn't believe it then, then when, you know, when are you going to believe it? But um, it's, a, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really an exciting thing to watch in, in 
in sports when you see players that have that have so much talent and so much awareness and then you get them together and then they can work off of each other you know and help each other and and take the, their play to such a level these two guys are just phenomenal I'm talking about Russ and, and, and Tyler are just phenomenal all around you know athletes and, and competitors and and gifted you know performers and 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 it they bring out the best in each other always i mean consistently they do and and uh it's really it's really marvelous to watch been your impression of how kyle fuller's played these first two games uh, he's played he's played good solid football he's played good strong football he's had a couple errors in there that kind of first time starter errors and i wish would go away quickly you know a little snap early and a couple things that have happened at the line of scrimmage things that really are totally on us to 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 command and and uh physically he's done well he's strong uh he's tough and and he's um he's really done a good job making the calls up front no he's, he's been very consistent we see the touchdowns and big plays with Tyler. What, what part of his game at this point might be underappreciated by you know, casual fans or even others around the league? Um, I don't know. Maybe they just haven't paid enough attention to the extraordinary plays that he continues to make, the gifted plays way down the field, and just makes him look so easy and so graceful. He's such a smooth athlete. That, you know, maybe it just they don't see the the power they don't see the explosion you know maybe he's really fast you know and i don't know that um you know evans in the, in the play that he broke last week you know they weren't even close to catching him and um i don't know he, he has been kind of under the radar you know in, in a sense but you know so Coach, pretty good. he's been compensated really well he we know it we recognize it you know so he's doing he's doing just fine in this new offense is there anything that russ has had to get better at or learn that he didn't know before that or some, something different that he didn't have to do we're, we're going to get better at it because of the um, the intricacies of it we're just going to get better you know we're just going to improve as we go because it takes time it takes reps you know there was these are the first two games we played together and so um i would say three four weeks from now it, it will, will you'll see us continue to take advantage of all of the hard work that's come you know before it and, and uh, where we can it's always about minimizing your bad swings you know and and uh that's a golf reference right there, in case you're wondering, Greg. Um, you know, and, and just clearing it up, you know, and, and being more precise and all that and consistent. Um, so it's good. We're going to get better. It, is there stuff? Yeah, it's just feeling comfortable with it, playing really fast with it, really, you know, quickly responsive and taking advantage of what we're looking for and what the call has to offer and stuff like that. So um, there's, there's, there's still a real upside. Second half of both games, your offensive production hasn't been what you wanted. Have you seen anything in common? Um. I, I would like us to be able to run the ball better in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, w I wish that was happening when you get ahead. You know, it's nice to be able to, to do that. And, and uh, it's always been the way that we, we love to finish games. And so I'm just hoping that we'll continue to, to develop so that when we need it, we can go to it. And that's why balance is so important. And that's why you, know, you guys always want to know, well, you talk about the running game. Well, there's there's reason why. <laughs> it's really nice when you can pound the clock down and, 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 and uh, you know, and, and own the finish of the football game. And we. It just hasn't happened as well as we like, um, but uh, um, you know we've been ahead in both those games, and, and we need to just finish this last one better than we did. So, and that's part of it. Yes, Coach. Yes, Coach. Jamal, so far with his pass rushing opportunities, and I guess generally speaking, no, he's been he's been aggressive. He's been really going after it, and just like you know we expect him to. He, 
you're not going to be able to keep him down. He's going to make some plays, you know, and, and uh, we love what he's doing. Um, and, and so we're going to keep using him, you know, and, and he's just an explosive play waiting to happen, you know, and so he's going to you like you know, how often you're using them in that role? Is that more? Uh, I'm, yeah, it depends. Yeah, it's really week to week, and it depends on what's what's available and all that. And, and uh, you know, we're sending him sometimes, you know, for effect, you know, and so that they got to deal with him. And, and it, he really brings it. So the production, you know, the, he missed his first sack, the first third down of the season, you know, because he was at two inches off sides. You know, that would have been a nice start to the whole thing. But um, he, he'll make plenty of plays. What kind of freedom does he have to take shots even when it's not necessarily called? Um, he, he does. He does have a certain amount of freedom, as all of our players do. You know, if you know what you what the situation is and what the opportunity is presented, we want to go for it. You know, we're, we're trying to go for it, and uh, not outside the guidelines of the defense or the scheme ever on either side of the ball. You know, but you know, I'm always encouraging guys, and particularly guys that I know have it in them and have the instincts to go and, and, and to take shots. Um, I'm looking for the opportunities for them to do that and to try to gauge that as we go. And I know that there's a there's a fine line there, you know, about going too far and uh, and taking chances that are outside of the scheme. One of the, the great take a shot guys we ever had was, was Michael Bennett. And you know, Michael needed he needed guidelines, but yet you needed to let him go too, or he wouldn't make the plays that he would make. And so there was a little bit of plus minus there at times and, and uh, you know we always hoped to and for the most part, you know, he, he was great at it, you know, and so um, now there's there, there's guys that could do that carelessly, and we won't let them do that. You know we'll restrict them, and that's for sure. But the guys that have the the natural and that sense and that go for it you know, mentality, um, you know, like Russ, you know, we got we got to let him have his chance to do those kinds of things. That the great things won't happen as often. So that's it. Was the Henry run? Was that a play where he he saw something and took a shot? Jamal? He he fitted up really aggressively and and so aggressively that. That the spacing between he and, and Trey got bigger than normal because he went so hard. He's trying to make the play in the backfield, you know, and uh, so we just have to we have to learn our guys. And it's just like I go back to the, the Mike. I heard Mike Bennett was in town last week, is what I'm thinking of. But we had to compensate for Mike sometimes so that he could go ahead and have those freedoms. And, and uh, there's some 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 similarity there. There's some real coaching points that we also. In, 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 Employ right here to, to do it where you don't get vulnerable by going too far too fast, you know. So, um, I mean, we're coaching the heck out of that. More of the huddle coming your way next. Don't go anywhere. This is the huddle with Dave Weinman, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross. We got a great interview with Alton Robinson coming your way in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, some Seahawks injury updates from Pete Carroll's press conference. Right tackle Brandon Shell with an ankle sprain is day to day. If he cannot go, Jamarco Jones will likely start in his place. Meanwhile, defensive tackle Brian Monet is feeling much better after injuring his elbow slash triceps area. He, though, is still TBD for week three. Likely out for week three is running back Rashad Penny with a calf injury. He wasn't placed on the injured reserve, which means that it was expected he'd miss uh, no more than three weeks. That would be the minimum amount required for IR. So he could be back next week, although doesn't look like he's going to go this week. Any quick reactions to that, Jake? Uh, any quick reactions? I, I think that when you're talking about Eskridge, it, it, it to me, it's it's a bummer that you're not able to get him out on the field. It's a bummer that he, you know he's not able to make the, the the recovery as quickly as you were hoping. And and quite frankly, it's a very difficult thing to understand and to know exactly what the timeline is. It's not a easy injury to recover from because it's so unknown and so unexpected but he's definitely going to be a missing piece that you would love to have out there and love to get his speed on the field yeah Eskridge seemed optimistic uh that 
or excuse me, Pete Carroll seemed optimistic that Eskridge could return for week three, but he is not practicing today as he presumably goes through that concussion protocol. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see when he's finally back out there. I think uh, not having Rashad Penny, obviously it's a bummer because you'd like to see him bounce back and and try to make the most of what's uh you know, under contract his final year in Seattle. But I think you feel okay knowing that you have Chris Carson, uh, knowing that Alex Collins had that great 25-yard run uh, last week. He looked great for you, so it could be another uh, big opportunity for him. No, I do, and I'm not concerned about it because I do have that much faith faith in uh, not only Carson, but uh, Alex Collins as well as your backup option. And I think that they're in a really good spot there. So it doesn't put you behind offensively in that situation. And, you know, if anything, you were hoping that Rashad Penny would pop and that he would add uh, to what you have, but you're certainly not expecting him or relying on him to propel the offense forward. So it's not as big of a hit. It would just be a nice addition too. So uh, I think that Eskridge is, is a bigger deal. I think not having Brian Monet out there, uh, potentially is a bigger deal um, than than the penny injury for sure. Now, one interesting thing I mentioned we'd be speaking with Alton Robinson. Well, this from Seahawks reporter John Boyle. It sounds like Alton Robinson will see more playing time this week. This is what Pete Carroll said. If anybody is clamoring for more, me too. He needs to be out there more. He's been so effective, even in limited snaps for this team. He has, but also isn't this something that we talked about last year? Like this was this yeah, was also was a rookie. Yeah. But last year, this is something that Pete Carroll also said. So, you know, I know that there's other guys that you signed and, and may have been ahead of Alton Rob Alton Robinson. But uh, I would have liked to have seen him get more active snaps and be more active, a part of the rotation. So, I mean, maybe we see this happen and it happens by necessity this this next week. And that'll be a very good thing because he's obviously popped and shows explosion speaking of uh that he had a strip sack uh carry Hyder with the fumble recovery led to a chris carson touchdown last week a great play by him we're going to ask him about that next alton robinson joins us on the huddle coming your way in a few minutes joining us right now on the huddle is seahawks defensive lineman alton robinson alton i have to start by saying congratulations that was a heck of a play last week uh with sacking carson Wentz, forcing that fumble can you walk us through what happened um yeah, it was just uh, it was a pass play I was able to be in on, and uh, I just took advantage of the opportunity to be out there and was able to get the hit and cause the ball to come out. How good did that feel to be able to get that hit on, on uh, Ryan Tannehill and to be able to get that, that ball, the strip sack? Oh, man, it's the best playing football. It felt so good to just lay heavy on a quarterback again. Now, Alton, you haven't been able to have the luxury of playing in front of the 12s, and so you had this big, huge moment, and I'm sure that stadium was rocking and going crazy. How cool was that? Man, it was one of the best films I had in a long time, you know what I mean, to be able to play in front of fans and to get everybody rocking the way they did. It was fantastic. Um, I've been getting into, I'm going to say, some tiffs some debates with people because I think the expectations should be high for the defense. You guys have so much talent, a great defensive-minded head coach. Uh, what are your expectations for yourself, like as a, let's say that side of the ball this year, what are your guys' expectations as a defense? Uh, I think our expectation is to just, you know, play how we know we can play, you know what I mean? And every every day we come to work ready to go, knowing that it's another day to get better. So I think just playing to the level that we know we can play at is the expectation of the whole defense. Alton, Alton with, a, with a you know tough loss like that, what are some of the conversations that you guys are having internally to you know learn from the mistakes that happened in that game, but like you said, move forward heading into this next week, a big game against the Vikings? 
uh, just just finishing. You know what I mean? We had them down, and we just got to learn to finish, and uh, not only learn it, but just stay true to it. And just when we got them down, keep our foot down. You know, no letting up. You know, Alton, one of the unique situations, and I, I can't can't imagine how hard this is because you know I played quarterback. And there's only one quarterback that is on the field. You have the ball in your hands. You're, you know, you you get into the rhythm of the game. For you and 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 for a defensive line, you guys are in a rotation, and some of you guys are are more specialists in terms of the ski or the the way that you fit into the defense and and the pass rush and your ability and what you bring to the table. How how hard is it to you know be asked to come into the game and give your very best for a play or two and then come off and and then come back on? What what is that like? say it's hard more is I would almost say it's a little bit reversed it makes it more exciting you know waiting there to play the whole time and then you know you get out there it's easier to give your full effort and everything like that because you don't know when the opportunity is going to come back so it's not as hard as it may seem so, the, so the yeah no it does so the anticipation and the excitement to get out there just remains at an all-time high absolutely Alton, uh, I love seeing you drop back into coverage a little bit, too. Uh, tell us about that, man. Um, yeah, we, we saw uh, you kind of turn and run with – that was a wide receiver that you were running with. I know he made the catch, but, geez, you had great coverage on him. Is that uh, is that all new to you? How much have you been working on that? Uh, I've been working on it quite a bit this this uh, off season and uh, the, through the season, as you've seen. Um, but it's uh, it's fairly new. Uh, it's not too new, but it's new that them throwing the ball and actually, you know, them counting on me. It's not like a, it's always under pressure or anything like that. So uh, just knowing where to go is the big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I love that you ran with him in the out and up. I mean, that's something that linebackers, you know, and DBs know. And then the other thing was, like, you were all over him. I mean, the guy made a great catch, but I just thought it was it was really good coverage. I was like, is that a defensive end out there? Man. That was a nice job. Thank you. Hey, Alton, I don't know if you remember this, but Jake and I interviewed you in training camp, uh, kind of just talking about all kinds of different things. And one of the things we asked you was, which player do you look up to? But then, like, DK Metcalf came over and grabbed a mic and was interviewing you. Do you remember this? Was it, this <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was. Who was the person he said, like, you said you looked up to, who do you model your game after? And he said, oh, I've got his number. I'll put you in contact. Uh, Marcellus. Tell me that he me. did that. Did he do that? Uh, we actually haven't been able to get in contact with him yet, but I know he was talking about probably for the next offseason because we're so busy with the season right oh, now. Oh, that's awesome. Man. Yeah, that's that's cool. I hope I hope they I hope you're able to uh, actually make that happen because I was really, going to try really to cool. hold him accountable. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try to help you out. Absolutely. Yeah, Alton, we're, we're not going to we're we're not going to let it go, and we're going to make sure that DK follows through on his promises. I got 110% faith in DK that he will do that. <laughs> hey, Alton, uh, tell us, I, I thought you had a great rookie year, man, coming in and getting four sacks. And I think, I want to say your first play against Dallas, you had a tackle for a loss on Ezekiel Elliott. It was a really good, really good start. How how much more comfortable did you feel coming back for for your second year? I know you've been working with Cliff Averill also a little bit in the offseason. Yeah, it was uh... – I was a little more comfortable, you know, because I knew what to expect coming into the second season. You know, the first season was kind of like, okay, I'm the new kid. Yeah. Got to kind of feel my way through it a little bit. But uh, coming back this season, I was able to have my nerves a little bit more calmed and just know what to expect, not only from the Seahawks, but from what other teams are trying to do to the Seahawks. So 
in that regard, I was a little bit more comfortable. Uh, Alton is still a young player in this league, second year. You've had your opportunity to play against some firsts. This is the first time I went up against this player, that player. Uh, how unique was it to go up against Derrick Henry? What was that like? And then is there anybody else that has stood out to you so far that you've gotten to play up, play against that either you were excited for or just walked away from going, wow, that guy, that guy was really unique? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Derrick didn't – he didn't – wow me too much because you know he's you know been doing it for so long now like it's almost like to be expected but uh being out there with him he definitely was a bigger body uh it was like damn this is the end running the ball right now <laughs> but uh i would say that's one guy but uh another one was trent williams last year uh you know he was a little banged up but that was another guy i walked away from like all right i got a chance to go against trent because he was you know one of the best to do it for the past couple years so those are probably the two that I would say are the mains. But I like other it. Other than that, we'll see. I know we got a, a couple of games coming up here that I'm excited for. Pretty soon people will be saying, you know, that Alton Robinson, that's yeah. the guy that yeah. he was my welcome to the NFL moment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. He is Seahawks defensive end Alton Robinson. Alton, it's been fun to talk to you, man. We, we can't wait to see you get uh, even more snaps out here. You've been a fun player to watch. Appreciate you guys. Take care. More of The Huddle coming your way next. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. It's one of our favorite segments because we are going in the trenches with Ray Roberts joining us right now. What's up, Ray? Nothing much. How are you guys doing? We're good. I was listening to you on the Seahawks postgame show on my way home from the game, and I caught uh, midway through a conversation about the run game, so that's actually where I want to start because I think it was a big point to make. It felt like, to me, um, this was something where on either side they struggled. Defense versus Derrick Henry. Henry won that battle, and then Seattle couldn't sustain their drives with the run. What did you see specifically with that, uh, including up front, maybe for Seattle's offense? Yeah, so for for Seattle, uh, I thought that the just the the approach to the running game was looked different than what they had done in week one. And week one, they used a lot of of that um, pre-snap motion, and then the only other way I know how to say it is like at the snap movement that kind of kind of created some hesitancy in the defense. So then allowed the offensive line to get onto their blocks and up to the second level a little better, and so they were a little better running the football. And then on uh, you know on Sunday against the Titans, it just didn't seem like they were doing those types of things. So I, I wasn't real clear uh, that they were really clear on how they wanted to attack the running game. And then on top of that, I don't know that uh, that the 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 guards and the center. I think you know Damian Lewis played okay, but I think that uh, Gabe Jackson struggled a little bit uh, in the middle there, along with the center. And so when you can't get those three interior guys winning most of their battles when you're kind of running that zone concept there's usually nowhere to uh to you know to create holes to run the ball so i don't know that um that the the play to support a good running game and then i don't know that the play calling in the approach was there to support a good running game as it as it relates to derrick henry um man it's just like that was classic derrick henry like he he gains a lot of yards after the after the after contact and he gains a lot of yards in the second half like halfway through the third quarter to the end of the game. So a lot of teams get you know get excited about, hey, we bottled him up in the first half, and then you want to know, well, what happened in the second half? Well, that's just kind of what he does. That's been his M.O. You know, all, you know, throughout his career here in the, in, in the league. He doesn't get panicked in the first half. The, the, the Titans didn't get panicked, and they yeah. just seemed 
more committed and disciplined to what they were doing, then the Seahawks seemed more uh, disciplined and committed to how they wanted to stop him. Yeah, I agree, Ray. That's what I would say, and what I've been saying this week is that, you know, in the NFL, you win when you do right longer. You know, whoever does right for the longest time, and that, you know, you never saw any of that, and no matter what the score was, the Titans just stuck with what their plan was, and they were just going to continue to grind away at the defense and get Derrick Henry his carries, and I thought it was, you know, I I thought that their their defense was really well coached, and I'm sorry, nobody wants to hear this, but I felt like this was one of the better teams that has come in here and had a really good plan, and I just liked, it was very old school, the way that they they stuck with what, what they had. Yeah, they, and it was super physical. I mean, yeah. they played uh, physical big boy football, and uh, and so there wasn't any, you know, you know, prettiness to how they were running the ball. And then all of a sudden, the Seahawks felt like they had to take chances to stop the run, and then you pop one for sixty yards in the touchdown. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk around who was at fault for that, who should have done this, that, and the other thing. But when it when you can feel that that running game was uh, getting started. Uh, then you have to do run blitzes and all the, you know, we saw Bobby running through, you know, the, the backside gap sometimes to get to the tackle. And so you're just trying to, you're just trying to sell all out to stop the run. And then in situations like that, it can be one, you know, someone missing one gap or one good block or one missed tackle. And the guy like him, even though as big as he is, can take it 60 yards for a touchdown. Ray, you know, what I saw from the running game, it really surprised me to not see, this group, especially in the interior, not have as successful a day at the office as I was anticipating. I mean, the Tennessee Titans, credit to them, their front seven, they got after it. They were very physical coming downhill. But uh, were you seeing some of the same things that I were? And, and what would you have done to try to maybe change that up to give them the best chance at success? Yeah, so I, I definitely saw that, Jake. And the thing that I noticed more than anything – was that the defensive linemen for the Titans were using their hands really well to create separation. So there's a few times where uh, Gabe Jackson just wasn't moving the defensive lineman anywhere, and the dude just had him completely locked off, locked out. And then when the ball came, when Carson came, he just you know got off the block and made the tackle. And so I think things happen like that. Uh, you have to find you either got to, you know, we're doing a lot of the zone blocking, maybe, you know, do some down blocking and pulling, get out on the edge a little bit and get out from between the tackles, make those big defensive linemen have to run sideline to sideline a little bit to get them a little worn out. Or then, you know, or do what you did, you know, in the first game, throw some eye candy there to slow everybody down a little bit. Because the one thing about, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I want to run the ball a hundred times a game if we can. But the one thing about uh, you know the zone blocking schemes and and is that people once they read them, the linebackers attack re- downhill really hard, and it makes it hard to su- sustain the double team at the at the line of scrimmage because they pull that second lineman off mm-hmm. the double team faster. Uh, and so, putting a little eye candy, it slows that down a little bit so that the guard or the tackle or the center can get up to the second level. And I thought they could have helped themselves a little bit with that. They tried it a little bit later in the game, but I think one time they fumbled the ball, like they got the motion and the handoff all mixed up and everything. But uh, but I thought they could have – they have some stuff in their playbook that could have 
helped um, the offensive line a little bit loosen up some of that defense. It's going to be an interesting unit to watch as a whole this week with Brandon Shell being day-to-day. Jamarco Jones could start in his place. You guys, make sure you're following Big Ray Roberts at Big Ray Roberts on Twitter. He's got uh, Big Ray's garage grind. That's uh, some good takeaways from the game. I always love seeing those every single week, Ray. And obviously you can hear Ray in addition to on the huddle with us normally on Thursdays on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show. Thanks, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me. You guys are doing a great job and uh, really enjoy having the opportunity to get on and uh, talk a little uh, trenches with you guys. Uh, Thanks, Ray. We always love having you. All right. Peace out. He is Ray Roberts, part of the Seahawks pre and post game show. I really do. He is the best person in the entire world to talk about, obviously with everything football, but during training camp, I would go up to him and uh, Jake, I saw you doing it. Plenty of people do when you just like, Hey Ray, what are you seeing here? And he can break down in a way that's so easy to understand. You know, when uh, Jake was torching me as a defensive coordinator yeah. when he was in high school, <laughs> yeah. my head coach was Ray Roberts. <laughs> It so was. Yeah, yeah, there's Ray, Big there's, Ray. there's a yeah. little little history there with yeah, uh, yeah, with Big yeah. Ray and and Dave, uh, and that's why they both don't like me. So I mean, uh, hey, hey, <laughs> I catch nasty club, looks Dave. from them all the time. Uh, but you know, to your point, no, like Ray, Ray does such a great job in terms of articulating a very complicated thing because offensive line play is intricate. Like people just think of it as oh, you just dominate the other it's guy. An they're, overlooked they're, unit. It is, and there's so much technique. There's so much involved combo blocks. The way you work together your technique and, and all those different things and how it all comes together. Ray does an excellent job with that. All right, Steve Rabel, play-by-play man for the Seahawks, going to join us next on The Huddle. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. We are getting you ready for the Seahawks' Week 3 game on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. Joining us right now, the voice of the Seahawks himself, Steve Rabel. Rabes, what's up? How you doing, kids? We are very excited, not just to be with you, but also maybe looking ahead, trying to look past this loss. So uh, I'll go ahead and just kind of skip skip what happened uh, against the Titans, even though some of it uh, is going to have to be corrected. So uh, I'll start with this. What's one of the biggest weapons that Minnesota is going to bring this team? Um, well, I can tell you his number is 33, and it's spelled Dalvin Cook. Uh, he is, uh, I think, the, the best weapon they have. I mean, they've got some good receivers, and their quarterback, Cousins, is pretty consistent. But Dalvin Cook is a difference maker. Uh, he, he is as good a running back, I think, uh, as there is right now in the league. He, he can get banged up a little bit because he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's only, uh, you know, like 210 pounds or something. But he is strong. He is explosive. Uh, he's a one-cut-and-go guy, and he will be on the corner and, and upfield uh, if, if you're not prepared for him in a heartbeat. Uh, and he was on his way to a big game against us last season before he got nicked up, and his replacement came in and ran for over 100 yards. So obviously we needed a little help on just stopping the run regardless of who was playing. But Dalvin Cook, to me, is the guy that makes that offense go. And besides that, I mean, Mike Zimmer is an old-school coach. Yeah, he, he, he loves to see the big plays and the, and the pass receiving and all that stuff, but he likes to play defense and run the ball. Hey, Rabes, have you ever called a field goal no good when it was good <laughs> and vice versa? 
No, I don't believe I have. And I've held off a couple of times in actually making a call. And you've heard me say this, David, you know, waiting oh, I don't for the official to, you. to make the call. Uh, you know, is it good? Is it not good? Um, because yeah. you just don't want to make that mistake. So I don't I don't ever remember actually making a call like that, saying that it was good where it wasn't good. You know, there are times when did he make the catch? And it's really tough to tell. But I'm, I'm guessing that those guys were doing the game off of a monitor. Yeah. And so they weren't able to see that that angle that you really want to see, which is from behind the goalposts, unless you're right there in the building where you can see the officials down below the uprights when they put their arms up or they wave it off. So, yeah, that was um, that was kind of tough uh, on those guys. But well, you know, hey, it, it'll be forgotten by next week. Oh yeah, and Paul Allen's like one of the best too. I mean, oh, he, yeah. he does a yeah, really he's good been job. Been around a long time. But I, you know, I yell. As you know, as you know, in the booth. But those guys, they lose their minds. I mean, yeah. holy smokes, they go crazy. <laughs> well, you know what I heard you two guys go crazy about is that DJ Reed taunting penalty. I mean, oh. I listening to you guys talk about it. I mean, I thought you guys were going to come unglued. I thought Dave might have walked down on the field to to talk to the referee himself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't agree with Dave on a lot of things, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, on that, I mean, I, I really do. I, I I just couldn't believe it. I I, I think they're just trying. To, I understand what they're trying to do, and let's face it, these things don't happen because, as somebody was saying yesterday or the day before, because you know Goodell decides I don't want somebody waving a finger in somebody else's face. This stuff comes from the from the coaches and general managers. They're the ones who are in charge of making these rules and the kinds of things that they want the officials to really focus on. But that was so, I mean, immaterial. Like, yeah, it didn't lead to any points. I get you, all that stuff. But it, it just kind of takes the, you know, the, the, the wind out of your sails when you make a big play and then you're marching off 15 yards and it gives them another opportunity with the ball. Uh, and you never know. The next time it will cost points. I just think it's, I just think it's ridiculous. I think they're going too far overboard. I, you know, it used to be that you couldn't slug a guy. Okay, I got that. <laughs> Yeah. Now you can't even look at him and make a comment. He might have been saying, you know what? I really like those socks you're wearing. <laughs> nice we try. Don't know because they threw a flag on it, for heaven's sake. He said, I'm so excited because you're Julio Jones. You're the best. <laughs> yeah. Can I have your autograph? Yeah, can we yeah. trade jerseys? Let's trade jerseys at the, the field. Yeah, you want to trade jerseys? Yeah. Well, uh, you oh, know, well. It, was, it was kind of funny that the, the – and I don't mean to dwell on it, but I'm going to. Uh, yeah, one of the things they said was, well, we don't want to see some big brawl that gets out of control. I mean, these guys have been taunting each other for, you know, decades. And have we ever seen, like, an out-of-control brawl in the NFL? No. I mean, typically no. it's – I would think they would back off of that one, Rabes, but, you know, yeah, as the season I, goes along. I hope so, only because I, I, I just think – well, you know, maybe if the Players Association really climbs on board and says this is ridiculous, yeah. you know the players don't like it. Pete tried to explain it in such a way that, you know, to try to keep, you know, because he doesn't want to, you know, make nasty with uh, the rest of the coaches in the league and all that. It's just it's the emphasis that you put on it, and it's the timing with which it's done, the where it's done, where it happens in the game, those kinds of things. You know, it's one thing if you go running over to the far sidelines and you're screaming at somebody and you're poking your finger in the chest of another player on their sidelines and everybody's getting a little hot under the collar. That's one thing. But in the heat of the battle, right out there on the field and, and, and in such a, a minor way that, that it worked against DJI, I just I don't get it.
Rabel, we haven't had a chance to ask you this yet, but what was your overall impression of the second half of the game? That's really where everybody's focusing. That That's where everything started to change for the game at, on both sides of the ball. What were your impressions and what was the difference? I'm trying to remember, Dave, and, and you remind me because, as you know, I'm old and I forget stuff. But I, I don't know that as, as we got into the middle of the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter, uh, that we, you know, came out and actually commented specifically on the fact that, you know, wow, the Seahawks just aren't sustaining any drives here. It's another three downs and out. It's another punt, uh, you know, unable to run the football. I know we didn't see a lot of, you know, Chris Carson at all, what, 30, 31 yards he had on the ground. That's just, that's not enough. You can't, this team can't win by doing it that way, I don't think. Uh, and then the And then the biggest thing was the longer – your defense is out on the field, the more they're getting pounded, you know, by Derrick Henry. So uh, I, I just thought that second half was part of it was the defense just got worn down. I think, you know, you go into the game without Brian Monet, so he's one of your big run stuffers inside, and that starts to wear out those, those defensive linemen. But the way you, you, you know, the way you overcome that, sure, you make tackles. But listen, that guy breaks a lot of tackles, and not just by the Seahawks, is you keep him on the bench. You know, convert some third downs, and that means sustaining and getting back to that balance that we saw in the first week that we didn't see this last week. And I got a feeling that that was one of the big messages that came across in Tell the Truth Monday was, hey, we got to go back to what we did a week ago. That works. Throwing deep is great, and yeah, you can score once in a while, but as many times as not, you're going to end up with a three and out and back on the bench. Yeah, and Ribs, you know, I've, I've been pining over this, the drive before halftime. Remember how masterful that was? Yes, you know, exactly. And, they and didn't the, use a timeout. Russ didn't use a timeout, as yeah, I remember. Right, they had two timeouts, and yeah, they didn't have to. And just the way they mixed it up, and Jake talked about spreading them out and then running the ball. You remember Alex Collins hit like a 23-yarder? So, yeah, they just kind of got away from that. That was kind of frustrating. But I, I thought more than anything that Tennessee really just, they, they're well-coached, they're disciplined, and they just stuck with their their game plan well yeah and they've got some great playmakers i mean you know derrick henry rushes for what 180 yards or something and then you got julio jones i I was quite frankly i was a bit surprised that julio had as much in the tank as he did still i guess i remembered it from last year he was kind of beat up last year and we haven't seen really brown because he's a young guy and we have you know he's a former teammate metcalf out here so we tend to think of dk as being the premier guy out of that class but if I can, let me ask, and Jake, you're the, you're the other quarterback here, and I heard Bump, Michael Bump is talking about this. It might have been, it might have been in the postgame show or, or could have been you know, this week, early in the week, but he said something that, I thought that really kind of resonated with me, that you can't fall in love with the deep pass. And I think at times, and I'm not putting this on Russ, but I'm just saying a number of times we saw in this game, and especially late in the going and obviously in the, in the overtime, is that the bailout pass was deep down the sidelines instead of mm-hmm. where is that 10-yard, 8-yard comeback you know, with a defense that's playing deep, they don't want to get beat deep, where are those passes? And I, I kind of uh, that was, you know, I, I kind of shook my head, yeah, I, I get that. You can't fall in love with the deep pass. I would fully agree with you, Raves, and, and a lot of those situations – uniquely is it's almost kind of how the play designed how it's set up you have one-on-one opportunities you take you you try to go for the one-on-one but it just wasn't the high percentage one-on-one instead of a, yeah. a go ball where's the slant where's the as you said the out 
um, you know, different ways to create those those mismatches. And I think that that resonates with everybody as you're watching how they were unable to sustain those drives and get positive yardage uh, early in these downs to get them in more advantageous third down situations. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. That's you're you're that's why you're where you are, Jake. You're just you're you're just so darn smart. You're just buttering me up. He is yes, Steve Rabel, voice of the Seahawks. Uh, Rabes, always excited Never to hear y'all on the for call. Me. I know. Where's where's <laughs> <laughs> Always excited well, to hear you on the call. There should be a message there, Dave. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I gotcha. no, no, Dave. It <laughs> means Loud nothing clear. by it. All right. Well, I'll hear both of you, actually. Very excited for that. Let's hope this time around it's a win. Thanks so much, Rapes. Let's do. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. We are going to uh, step across enemy lines here for a quick opponent preview of the Vikings with ESPN Vikings reporter Co- Courtney Cronin. coming your way next. Joining us right now for an opponent preview on the huddle is Courtney Cronin, a Vikings reporter for ESPN. Hey, Courtney, how are you? Hey, Stacey, I'm good. How are you? We are fantastic. Uh, you're here with uh, Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps as well. We're uh, kind of leaning into you for some some uh, insight here for the Seahawks' upcoming opponent as our listeners right now. So uh, I'm going to start with just kind of look. Full disclosure, I have not been watching a lot of Vikings tape, but I have been looking over just the box scores. We know they can be misleading, but Courtney, it kind of seems like this is a team that could be 2-0, at least on paper, uh, and they've just had some bad luck. Is that how it seems to you? Yes and no. Uh, We were actually just talking about this at the end of practice, where are they really two plays away, the fumble from Dalvin Cook in Cincinnati in overtime, and the missed field goal at the end of regulation in Arizona, are they really those two plays away from being 2-0? and mm. And I think that you have to look through that and realize, obviously, there were plays that set up them to be in that situation where it, it's a game winner, effectively, that's in the last moment that that's what they needed in order to win. And, you know, you look at the offense in, in Cincinnati and just how poor of a start they had and how bad the offensive line looked and all the penalties. And I think that that factors into the cumulative effect of what happened that game, that they even had to kick a 53 yard field goal to go to overtime to beat the Bengals. Um, And then last week, the offense starts out hot and they were really good, but then they only generate three points in the second half. They kind of slowed down. The defense was getting gashed by these big 15 plus yard throws in uh, completions from Kyler Murray. So you, you can look at it in a vacuum and say, yeah, they lost because Greg Joseph didn't kick that 37 uh, yard field goal or because Dalvin Cook fumbled the ball away just outside of the 30 yard line. And then Cincinnati went down and kicked a field goal of their own to win. You can look at those things and say that is the reason tangibly, but there's so much that goes beyond that that shows that the, the, the team's kind of playing this weird game of whack-a-mole where, you know, when you hit your hand on the defense uh, to get that to like stop popping its head up, then the offense pops up. And when you hit, put your hand on that, then the special teams issues start becoming uh, more apparent. So it just hasn't felt like they've been totally in sync from top to bottom these first two weeks. And, you know, that's very much, in my opinion, the reason that they are 0-2. <laughs> I like that comparison, the, the whack-a-mole. That's, <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, well, let me ask you about uh, Kirk Cousins. He's, you know, I've always admired his completion percentage. It's, it's always so good. What kind of a leader is he, Courtney? You know, it's interesting because Zim said today 
when I asked him about the first two weeks because you really cannot point at either loss and say that's Kirk Cousins' fault. He did this wrong. He did that wrong. And it's, that's the reason they lost the game. Um, truthfully, I mean, he's been one of the bright spots for them. And I know that the offense in general came into the season as a question mark. Like we knew what we were going to get out of Kirk Cousins, uh, but you know, the offense and the sample size, just like how poorly they played in the preseason, not knowing what the offensive line was going to look like, et cetera, et cetera. That was a big unknown. Um, But, you know, with Kirk, I think the thing that you've really been impressed by with him in these last two games is the position that he had the team in to win the games at the end, like the drive, um, in Arizona this past week when, you know, get the ball down to the 19 yard line, they call a timeout. Kirk was telling us after the game that he wished he would have, um, you know, they would have gotten a little bit closer, which, you know, typically that's a little bit more dangerous just in terms of, I mean, maybe you go down and score, who knows? Um, because you did have about 44 seconds there, but you know, who knows if, if you get closer with kicking a field goal from that close, typically the percentages aren't really, really great, but nonetheless, he put them in position to win in Arizona with where he got them field position wise. He put them in position in overtime and then obviously the fumble cost them that. So I think that Kirk has played really well. And the interesting thing with what I asked Mike Zimmer about today and he brought up unprompted is that he's impressed by Kirk's leadership this year, which doesn't sound like a lot just because of, you know, the relationship between head coach and, and quarterback has definitely felt strained because of, um, you know, the COVID stuff this season and everything else that kind of factors into, um, you know, the, the success of the quarterback and, you know, the head coach being very much tied into that. But I think what Zim was getting at is that he, you know, all these years in, four years in now of him leading the offense, like he's the guy, he, you know, he's that franchise leader that they needed. Like in previous situations, maybe he would have shied away from galvanizing the locker room, but now he is that guy, and I think you're seeing that pay off. And it's you know those cr- those clutch moments and critical moments like the fourth quarter, like that's that's pretty tangible, I think, to this team and just the position that Kirk has had them in. Courtney, uh, there's a couple really big injury new uh, pieces of of nuggets here that uh, for the Vikings that are I think important for Seahawks fans to know. Uh, who has the best chance of returning? Uh, for the Vikings that that are key players, and then uh, is, is there any injury issues right now at the Vikings that uh, anybody where you guys are at are worried about? You know, it's interesting because Anthony Barr was at practice today, and he hasn't. We haven't seen him really since since August. Go through a full practice. He's got a knee issue. They've been you know kind of one step forward, five steps back with him. And I think you'd be hard-pressed the way that Nick Vigil is playing right now to take him out of the lineup when you're in your nickel defense. So I'm really curious to see if Barr can get through. We'll get the injury report here soon, see how much he did. I would imagine he was limited in his first day back. But um, I, I do think that there's you know, reason to believe that they're going to try to go slow with Barr on this thing because it sounds like it's a chronic um, – Maybe, maybe even like an arthritic condition that he's dealing with in his right knee. But outside of him, I mean, Everson Griffin was in the concussion protocol. Teams don't have to announce uh, whether you're cleared or not. I think it's just kind of a given depending upon like how much you're practicing. But he was out there today. I would imagine he'll be listed as limited. Uh, that's a big part of their pass rush just because of the situational role that he's back here playing. And when you face a Russell Wilson, you, you need as much help as you can get 
um, from the guys up front. So, I mean, those are the two big ones. I still think Christian Derrissaw is probably a week or two at minimum away from even contending to take over that left tackle spot. Um, just because, you know, Mike Zimmer said this is going to be a long process with the rookie left tackle. Um, usually a long process is, is more than a couple of weeks. So we will see about that. But it was a good sign. Again, he was out there practicing today. She is ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin. She's also got a really fascinating article, you guys, on uh, the Vikings kicking woes. It's really, really interesting. I just retweeted it. Uh, Courtney, good stuff, uh, obviously, with this article. And we really enjoyed uh, your preview with us. Helps us understand a bit more about this Minnesota team. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. See you out there. Take care. All right. Again, that was ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin for an opponent preview there. Shoot, I wish I would have gotten in a question about Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne because I I was expecting Jefferson to be leading this team with receptions and yards. Very curious about the start to the season for those two guys. But alas, uh, we are going back to some final Seahawks thoughts and and we'll take a look at this team, where they are now that we have all of the information uh, during the course of our two-hour huddle. And we'll look ahead to week three. It's coming your way next. This is the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rust. We are getting you guys ready for the Seahawks week three game. This one's on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings 0-2, but we learned plenty more, not just about the Vikings, but also looking back at Tennessee, uh, that loss in week two, to learn a bit more about what the Seahawks need to do. So upon reflection, we'll have some final thoughts here, and I'll get us started with mine, though, Dave, I think you're going to want to elaborate a bit more on mine. Mine is uh, kind of the biggest takeaway is that Kirk Cousins not really at fault for those two losses so far for the Vikings when I did my own preview and I'm looking at all these names and I'm writing them down Dalvin Cook you've got circled Justin Jefferson you've got circled even though he's not leading the team with receiving yards right now a guy like Eric Kendricks on defense um, but we spoke with Courtney Cronin a Vikings reporter for ESPN who said you know what Kirk Cousins has played really well so far not at fault for those losses and has been a bright spot so uh, I think he's can be quite a bit more dangerous than people give him credit for. Well, you look at his numbers. I mean, and look, again, going back to he's one of two, I think, players in NFL history to finish a, a full season with over 70% completion. Jake, I, I'm not sure if that's – I can believe confirm so. That. I really I don't care so, that I'll much about to... quarterbacks, so I typically don't pay attention. <laughs> I'll, I'll have credit. to try to confirm that for you. <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Yeah, he hasn't made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, you go and look, and I was watching the Cincinnati game. I don't know that that was a fumble. And, you know, it was with two minutes, man. They were inside the 50-yard line. They're driving. And and then, you know, it wasn't super clear, the Dalvin Cook intercept or uh, fumble. So, but, um, but yeah, and then, you know, you look on their defense, they've got some very talented guys. Uh, she was talking about Nick Vigil and how maybe they weren't going to bring back um, Anthony Barr yeah. necessarily, and he's playing really well, Nick Vigil is. And, you know, and uh, Eric Kendricks is one of the best linebackers against the pass. The guy always has like 10, 12 passes knocked down, gets picks. You know, we saw how t- tough they are. Harrison Smith last year. Patrick Peterson's there now. So, yeah, they, this is a good this is a good team coming in here, man. It's I mean they're not coming in here. We're going in there, and that's I was thinking about last year when they came in and they were lucky to win that game. Yeah, I mean look, they had to make a lot of that was the one probably you needed the most 
Okay, so, so there was a third down stop mm-hmm. that I think Benson Mayoa was in on, which was unbelievable. They It was a reverse to Jesse Thielen, and they both ran all the way over there. I think it was him and Demontre Moore and hit him out of bounds. Wasn't it just Barely short? short. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like if they hadn't hustled, it would have been a first down and the game was over. Yep. Then they stop him on fourth down. Then Russ has a fourth and ten that he picks up, and then the touchdown pass was a fourth down. Correct. Yes. So, I mean, they, they could have easily lost that game. And, again, Madison went on a tear running for 112 yards. I think Cook had, you know, 40 or 50 before he got hurt. But that's, to me, the defense has to – got to stop the run. And, you know, they're going to have to be really physical. And there was a lot of breakdowns last week. So we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. But I think that's job one going in. It is job one, no question about that. And this is the unique part in all the conversation that has happened around how the Seahawks won, how the Seahawks offense has operated. The one thing that you don't want to discourage is their ability to start fast. You don't want to discourage the killer instinct that they've had at the beginning of games. What you do want to be better at is sustaining drives and being better, keeping that time of possession in the second half and being able to march and continue to keep putting points up on the board or at least maintain that time of possession, convert on third downs. Those are going to be key, critical, situational uh, issues that you look at for the Seahawks offense that they have to do. And if they can fix some of those things, uh, it makes them extremely tough to stop. Who are one or two players that become maybe the most important guys in this game for you? I know it's a team sport, but for instance, I'm looking at stopping Dalvin Cook. Suddenly you're looking at that defensive line once again. Yeah, I would say linebackers got to play downhill, you know, and have to be really physical. You can't, you know, you can't just make a tackle, you know, six, seven, eight yards downfield. It's got to be at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I always put on linebackers just because I was a linebacker. <laughs> D-line, you know, I mean, the big guys up front. I thought Al Woods had a really good game. We were talking about Brian Monet not being there, but Al Woods more than made up for it. I thought with the sack and a couple of the – and he was battling in there. Do you see, like, his his uh, pads are flipped oh, yeah. up and his, his jersey's all jersey twisted around. almost, and, like, inside his chi- – like, yeah. just in the middle of his chest. I think I mean, much like offensive linemen, when defensive tackles in particular get really involved in a play, it just, like, it makes you really like, yeah, let's go. You're fired up. What yeah. is Al Woods, number 90? He's yeah, I think he's number ninety. It was like the zero was on the other side. It was like oh nine. I mean, it was just he was battling in there. So you know, I, I thought yeah, Brian Monet is great, but I thought Al Woods more than you know made up for it. But you know, they're gonna need all hands on deck this week because you know, like I said, these the runs. Dalvin Cook is incredibly explosive, and then I just think they have a good running game in general because they can plug whoever in like they did last year, and he's gonna get yards too. Yeah, the, the two, I mean, you look at the defensive focus from Dave. I mean, I'll obviously focus on the offense and the two areas that I think the two people, I, I would say a group and then and then one player. The first thing is when you talk about the run game, people like to say, oh, you didn't get enough carries. And that is true. But the reason why that also didn't happen was because you were not successful in that run game. The offensive line really struggled on the interior. They got it taken to them. And guess what? They're going to go up against a really good interior defensive line against the Vikings. So you've got to fix whatever the issues were in a hurry and get yourself back on track. Damian Lewis, Kyle Fuller, um, and Gabe Jackson, you've got to get that fixed. 
Um, and then the other part person you point to is is Russell Wilson, right? When you when the game is on the line, when you have an opportunity to win the game, more often than not, you are going to love handing the ball off to Russell Wilson and say, hey, go win us this game. He's going to win it for you more times than not. He didn't come through against the Tennessee Titans the way that everybody would want him to. And, and so Russ has got to be better in this game particularly on third downs and if that situation arises he did it last year against Minnesota can he do it again can he fix that I think that those that's the areas of focus that I'm going to be paying attention to by the way Al Woodsworth's 99 so it didn't really matter which side <laughs> well the, the point yeah, I mean, is his, that the bottom of the nine was tucked up so it looked like a 90 maybe I it looked, I it looked was, like six two sixes you yeah ba- I was getting what you were saying you could basically see his pecs that's how much his jersey and his pads were all jumbled up in the middle of his body <laughs> but the thing I, I kept feeling for him was they kept those guys on the field. Al Woods didn't. I mean, he was on the field a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and he was he was out there and he was giving his best effort, man. I mean, hats off to him. Look, we have uh, two minutes left here, so two-minute drill. Uh, I want to be able to end on kind of an exciting note for fans that want to turn back from a really uh, heartbreaking loss against Tennessee and look ahead to uh, a good weekend of football. So I'm not going to make anyone do a score prediction, but uh, is this a winnable game for Seattle? Of course. Yeah, I mean, I think they can win any game and you look at and we're going to talk about this on our show um you know how many starters uh, are there from this defense that would be you know how, how many teams do they start mm-hmm. on and mm-hmm. you know I, I think they have enough talent uh it's just about playing together so and certainly the offense and the way they operated in in uh, indianapolis that and they travel well I mean, they, they've been really good on the on the road the last few years. I mean, look at they were seven and one in 2019 and the early time slot, which this is not, by the way, it's a later game. But still, uh, I, I think they travel well and, you know, their backs are up against the wall a little bit. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think this is a total totally winnable game for the Seahawks and uh, they are one of the more talented teams in the NFL it's just about taking care of business it's about playing complimentary football and as Dave said I think that they're the defense has an incredible task like I said this last week with the Tennessee Titans the defense has a very difficult task on their hands and we'll see if they can play hero in this game all right, again, the Seahawks' week three opponent is going to be the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, that is going to be on the road at U.S. Bank Stadium against Kirk Cousins and crew. It'll be a tough one. I think that's one thing we've learned today from the huddle, but another thing we learned in our sum up here is that the Seahawks are certainly a talented enough team. They can and should be able to take this one if they're able to execute, able to play together, just like Dave said. So this has been the huddle, getting you guys ready with the two-hour preview for the game. Uh, hope you guys all all enjoy this one. Let's hope they can come out with the W this time. For Dave Wyman, for Jake Heaps, I'm Stacy Ross. This has been The Huddle. We'll talk to you guys next Thursday.